You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in to the main course. We have an amazing show that we put together today. Three of the biggest movers and shakers in the restaurant industry from all different aspects of the restaurant industry. Our first guest is Maya Martinez. She's the owner of Sample Wine Bar in Carroll Gardens. Our second guest today is Cecilia Estridge. She is a sales associate for Makuni Wild Harvest, which basically provides some of the top restaurants with truffles and mushrooms in New York City. And our third guest is a mixologist extraordinaire. She's currently working at Maison Premier and has worked in some of the top mixology places, restaurants, bars, if you will, in New York. That is Patrick knocking on a window to some of his friends. Tell him to turn the music down out there. Okay, what kind of place feedback. are we broadcasting in? No, just feedback. kidding. We are, we should say, broadcasting out of... Uh, did you Have you introduced all three guests already? I have introduced all three guests. I am Jason Colucci, and to my immediate future is Patrick Martins. Don Sitter. Um, I would um, I would like to say we're broadcasting out of Roberta's restaurant at of 261 course. Moore Street out of two uh, repurposed shipping containers. And this is HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We also got Sam Jr. in the back, son of Sam Edwards, which is a Oops. really big sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. They make all the prosciutto. Oh, for us forget in, about uh, it. Virginia, you know. I didn't know. I just. American thought, prosciutto. I, just, well, I have an announcement. I, I love when I get. Um, Emails from anyone within the Bastianich and Batali Empire. Yeah, you have to read. It, you have to read those, or you won't get a reservation. It means Bobo. they uh, they re- they still remember that I exist because they do buy a lot of stuff from us. They're doing a cuisine in the country dinner in Las Vegas, and uh, they're going to roast whole goats. It's a hundred dollars a person, and it's basically to honor you know this whole network of ranchers and producer cooperatives and this and that. So Lincoln. County Nevada.com. So, uh, that's it. There's no more. No, a hundred dollars. Oh. I mean, the chefs, Mario Batali's, Las Vegas restaurants, BB, Carnivino, and Italian Steakhouse and Otto are partnering with the Lincoln County Nevada Producers Cooperative for the second year to bring you cuisine in the country. Well, it's going to be a great event. It's going to be a great event. And when I think of culinary, sort of the Mecca, I think of Las Vegas at least. It's in my top three. Definitely. Really? Well, yeah, definitely. After, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Do you really think that? Because no, you know, I mean, for art, it is like there's no, I mean, great it, art house there. There's yeah, great chefs. Steve Wynn is a great curator of Picasso's. Um, no, I mean, there's some fun stuff. You're talking about Vegas as a whole is is like any other city. If you're there for a little while, you can find the little gems of it. If you get through the sort of the fluff of it. And I agree with you 100% about you know, restaurants. How much time have you spent there? Well, I wouldn't consider any of the time I spent there actual time because <laughs> I, they, were, they were like three-day stints where I probably didn't sleep very sleep much. Sleep at all. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know how that happened. Time actually existed. 
Well, so um, great job producing the show. This was all you. I mean, I was thank just uh, giving my marching orders. Well, thank for today. you for for trusting me, and thank you for all our guests. I really have to say that these are people that I, I I'm friends with, and I work with, and people I really respect, and I visit their restaurants, and um, and I do business with Cecilia. So I I really appreciate everyone's time today. And really Cecilia excited. said that you were one of her top eighty five chefs uh, below Fourteenth Street. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. It is with three thousand restaurants in New York City. It kind of top seventy. Work. Yeah, the numbers work. Um, but no, you you talked about. Well, first of all, I have to say when I did the Cecilia's bio, Cecilia worked at a uh, what is the what is the actual name of the place? Consider Bardwell. I put Don Sitter Bardwell, and just because so you're uh, you know an Italian, well, Don's. Uh, Don, of course. But just so everyone knows the level of like farm geek that Patrick Martins is, he looked at the entire thing, and the only thing that he said about the entire sheet of everyone's bio was, there's a little misspelling about this small little farm up there in Vermont. <laughs> How dare they? I was like, How what dare are you spell check not How? He's know like, them. I was like, what do you mean? Well, listen, this is, a, this is a very respected goat farm up there. I was like, all right, we'll change the thing and redo it. My big yeah. issue was that you would go with Don Sitter. That's like in that Seinfeld episode where he knew his girlfriend's names rhymed with the let, let, part like, of the female anatomy, and he went with Mulva. Mulva. That's like going with Don Sitter. You know? I went with it. We were on a phone interview, you know, running around, and I and I had asked her a hundred other questions, and I couldn't, you know, and I was writing it down, and you know, whatever. But well, anyway. introduce our first guest. All right. <clears throat> Our first guest today is Mayo Martinez. Mar- Martinez is the owner of Sample, a wine and conserver bar that has evolved over the past eight years in Carroll Gardens in Brooklyn. Before entering the world of becoming a wine bar owner, she was a pastry chef in New York City and France, working for some top chefs such as David Boulay and Claudia Fleming. She then opened Biscuit in Park Slope, Brooklyn, with two other partners. Biscuit was one of the first nouveau barbecue places to rise out of the New York City landscape and was widely successful. It closed after three years for creative differences, and with the capital earned from brisket, the, cop- the concept of Sample Wine Bar came along. Sample, a simple wine bar serving conserva-style food, which she picked up after a trip to Spain. We are pleased to have to the show Mayo Martinez. Hi, Jason. Mayo. I'm glad to be here. Um, thank you for, for coming. Um, you know what? Can you talk a little bit about uh, Sample Wine Bar, which is sort of the name, but there's food served there. I've... I've consumed it. Can you say how food fits into the picture at Sample? Uh, well, we have wine. We have food. They, they you know, certainly complement each other. Um, the food at Sample is conservas, and um, mainly what we wanted to do, my partner and I, when we opened Sample, was to have um, a great little venue for um, tasting the two together. And um, originally, we sort of patterned it after a place in Barcelona called Quimet Aquimet. And um, it's this really great little neighborhood place that's um, serving bocadillos. And their bocadillos have um, conservas instead of having fresh ingredients. And bocadillos being bocadillos are, are, sardines? They're little, no, bocadillos are little bites. Oh, so, okay. yeah, so when you go into a tapas bar, if they have the, you know, there are lots of different styles of tapas. Anyway, so, um, you know, Kimet Akimet definitely was um, inspirational because... You know, for my partner and I, two chefs, thinking about um, food cost constantly, um, having the idea of a, a place that um, that has, like, you know, ostensibly zero loss was really, really interesting. So that's how Sample was brought well, up. Do you have to have 
So you, you have the idea of a wine bar and stuff. And do you have to, ha- if you're serving wine, if you open a wine bar, do you have to have food? Um, well, no, certainly you don't. But um, but I think that it, it enhances, you know, the experience of um, of your wine and your food of your you know, of, of, you know, they, they complement each other. It allows um, people to drink more, too. No, oh, Maya, definitely. Maya, you brought a good, good point, which I thought was spot on when I first asked you that question, which was, in New York, you don't, or in New York, you do. I forget what the answer oh. was. But you had, no, it was a perfect answer because it was well, such a... Well, you know, I thought you were asking me, you know, we were talking about another project and my mind was in, um, you know, the legalities of, of New York and um, there are all these crazy old laws and so, you know, you can't dance and you can't, you know, do spit and you can't, God knows what you can't do. You know, there are lots Which of Which of those two upsets you more? Uh, you know, the dancing, although I do like a spit every once in a while. Um, but I, but, you know, definitely I was thinking about, you know, what is legal and, you know, in a lot of states you have to have some food when you have alcohol and that seems reasonable, but it doesn't, you know, it's, it's one of those laws that, you know, like any of of the others that kind of like guide you to the right path. Um, I can take those or leave them, but for New York, no, you don't have to have food. I, I personally think that it's very important. Yeah, I mean, everyone likes to eat. I try to eat three, yeah. four times a day. So um, <laughs> now, with tell us about the spectrum of canned foods and things that you can look for to determine freshness or quality or artisanship, even though it's coming in traditionally what people imagine, you know, a non-fresh situation, although obviously there are many fresh foods. So. Certainly. Well, you know, I mean, most of the conservas that I have are coming from other countries. So, you know, they have... A very long uh, tradition of putting putting together, you know, the very best of whatever the harvest was um, or the catch was, and so it, it's kind of it's almost like a no brainer. Like any sort of like uh, Japanese or Spanish fish in a can is going to be fantastic, um, and you know any kind of uh, you know olive coming from Italy or from Peru is also going to be delicious. So you know there are guidelines that are that are just sort of like a, a usual. But um, there are also, you know, I mean, certainly there are, like, really tiny little places that make things that almost never come to this country. So when I see those, I get really excited. Um, certainly cheeses um, being one of those preserved foods. Um, not technically a conserva, but I treat it as such. And cheeses are huge for me. I love, you know, tasting different things and, and going and, uh, you know, seeing the animals that are actually producing the, the milk and, and that sort of thing. So that's really fun for me. Are there certain things you cannot do? I mean, you've worked with uh, David Boulay and Claudia Fleming, which I want to ask you about. But, I mean, the fact that you're only using canned foods, are there certain things that you wish you could do but that canning doesn't allow you? Or And, and then also in the same question, what else can you do? Well, um, you know, I don't have a salad on the menu. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, you know, but but again, with the whole thing of I have you know beautiful wines I have lots of wines from everywhere I have um, a full bar of lots of sort of like different kinds of liquors that I like to mix up and um, and really nice craft beers so with those things you know as you said earlier what I really want is to have um, salgados so things that are salty that make you want to drink that kind of you know you have a refreshment in your beverage and what um, do you use Spanish wines mostly? I love Spanish wine, um, but you know I love Spanish wine. I love Italian wine. I love French wine. I love, you know, uh, lots of different uh, countries give us great wines. I, I think when we first met, one of the things that 
when I was at the place, what really interested me about you was you had been a part of a, a restaurant that I knew in Park Slope called Biscuit. Oh, Isn't yeah. it Biscuit? No, it's a Biscuit, <laughs> right? Well, you know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> here, in, here in the U.S., we say Biscuit. Uh, I... Remember, I had remembered going to that place and getting just a quick takeout, and yeah. um, and it was, it just all of a sudden disappeared. But I, it was ama- an amazing restaurant. For Why did you call it Nouveau in your outline? Well, I, I called it Nouveau because there was an entire sort of group of restaurants that opened. I would say after Biscuit, um, yeah, and barbecue places, whether it be Blue Smoke or whatever you want to call it. I don't say Nouveau, where they were doing sort of new techniques with barbecue. I just meant Nouveau. Blue Smoke was, was open. Had opened already. Daisy Maze was not. Daisy Maze was not. Yeah. It was just a general like sort of level of new barbecue, sort of Americana kind of places that opened. So I used the word Nouveau just to sort of make it sound very interesting, but it was eventually just pioneer. new. Pioneer. Yeah, we right. were pioneers. And you were specifically <laughs> doing North Carolina style barbecue. Yes. One, please tell me what, when you guys were getting the money together to open Biscuit what sort of the thought process was in opening a barbecue place? Well, actually, you know, um, it's an interesting thing because at that point, um, I'd been in New York. I'd been cooking for um, for about eight years, and um, I came to New York to go to culinary school. So, um, you know, I came, drove from California and went to CIA, and my partner went to Johnson & Wales, and so both classically trained. Um, so, you know, it may be a little bit odd that uh, our first uh, venture was uh, Carolina Barbecue, But really, you know, it's one of those things. When you're working on the line in New York, you're working with everybody, Um, people who you would never, ever meet otherwise. And, you know, after years of working with different people and and learning about the food, you know, from, you know, from where they are, um, that kind of seeped in. And I, you know, I firmly believe that that is the most organic and the most um, natural way for a restaurant to, you know, become so that's kind of, you know, and in fact, sample was the original idea. So biscuit came only after we had thought about sample. And sample was this epiphany, this like, you know, kind of shining ideal that we were like, that's what we want to do. We, however, did not have the capital for it. And we funded everything ourselves. So it was my partner and I and um, a friend of ours. So it was three of us throwing in, you know, our wads of money and building this little tiny place. The barbecue seemed very organic because it's sort of a low overhead kind of It was thing. It was fairly low overhead. It was really, I mean, if you looked at the place, it was... No, it was, it was literally, <laughs> there was about five tables when you walked in and then there was like a little counter and then yeah. that was it. I mean, yeah. I remember, yeah. Teeny tiny. Well, I can't wait to um, try this, uh, this new wine bar sample because my favorite wine bar right now is uh, Bouvette. Oh, I love Bouvette. You know, and I yeah. think she does food in such an original way. So yeah. I always try to hold things up to that standard. Of course, it's way in the West Village, and that's not near me. But uh, I mean, do you have a website and stuff like that where people can? Do you know it's it's actually not up right now. It's getting tweaked a little bit, but hopefully. So what are in the your hours, so. and uh, how can people reserve? We'll tag it for the website. Oh, fantastic! Um, every day we're open, and it's open at uh, at a very lovely hour of 5 p.m. You do a great Until happy midnight. Hour. Yeah, <clears throat> 5 p.m. until midnight, and then on Friday and Saturday until uh, 2 o'clock. Okay, and then uh, what's the exact address? The address is 152 Smith Street, and that's at Bergen. So it's really great because the F and the G are right there at the Bergen mm-hmm. stop. Yeah, so. downtown Brooklyn, Carroll Gardens. That's a very interesting restaurant scene. 
you know, there was prime meats and Frankie's all the way down well, that there. That was, yeah, and I mean, that was... Then Rucola, now Mile End. But there was that, that whole, whole... You're part of that whole first wave of Smith Street, though, that whole French well, sample, wave. Well, mm, right? samples, actually, we came after, um, t- you know, Bar Tabac and Banania, but uh, sample's going to be eight years yeah. in wow. October. And you're doing so, your new place? And I am. I'm actually, this is really, I'm super excited. I've got... Um, a wine shop in the works and um, I met the um, I met my partners who are now my friends and partners uh, at Sample so over the years of you know pouring people wine and you know I love to play I love to um, you know see what people are into give them stretch them a little bit give them a little bit of like something different give mm-hmm. them you know something to you know pair something that's uh, you know going to kind of blow their minds and like get them thinking and so with that you know I met these great guys and we're opening a wine shop it's beautiful it's down where is it um, it's down uh, in one Brooklyn Bridge Park uh, which looks out on the Brooklyn Bridge the city and that 25 mile long park which is amazing it's not you know it's not finished but it's a really yeah. great when they when all those people move in it'll be a really great and now this wine shop will have red white and rosé well rosé only in the summer kidding me <laughs> that's awesome and We're gonna uh, have it all. that is going to be that's one brooklyn bridge right um yeah that's going to be yeah. um, a really cool park it's already cool you cannot jog down the entire length of it because it's still not done but there's like are you jo- kayaks. Well, are you, wait are you jogging or are you just seeing people, are you talking about people lots. are you talking about people yeah. you see jogging or you yes no jogging? no people i imagine <laughs> okay. people jogging you i've can. actually never been there you okay. can actually go all the way down it's there are parts of it that are in construction right. so they're they're not pretty yeah. You know, but they are, but but there is the pathway there, and you can see, you know, the potential. So it's yeah. really nice. And right now, the only restaurant there is that famous pizza place that people stupidly stand in line for for like three hours, yes. and like the River Cafe. Wait, can I just wait, yes. wait, 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 wait? If you walk four blocks down, you have Vinegar Hill House. Come on. Oh yeah, Vinegar yeah, Hill. that's true. Which I love. Yeah, Vinegar Hill is a very good restaurant. Well, you're gonna sit in. I love it. This is like the old Johnny Carson. You will just move down will, one yeah, spot on the couch, and uh, we're gonna take a break and come back with Cecilia Estrich. Perfect. And we're going to bring everyone together. Perfect. Cool. Public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune into the food scene Tuesdays at 3 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel, photo editor of Edible Brooklyn and Edible Manhattan magazines, he'll further explore the amalgamation of food and art by talking to artists from a multitude of media. Guests will range from photographers, food stylists, interior architects for restaurants, industrial designers, all the players that make you want to eat with your eyes. Get ready to feast your ears every Tuesday at 3 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network.
And we're back. Great segment, Maya Martinez. Nice, that was nice, Carla. That that intro was uh, a yeah. lot better than the last one. It was. We didn't have. You're like on the uphill. Uh, Good work. You're Good on, work. in the right direction. I didn't have to send Jack another text message, but it was fine. <laughs> Jack, come back. Um, I have out. a feeling Jack is not very far. He's like right outside Roberta's. I think he lives under this. Oh, yeah, Do I they miss me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're going into our next guest, Cecilia Estridge. Um, just coming out of a song, Can't Heat, going to the country, which reminded me maybe of what you thought when you graduated <laughs> from Vanderbilt. Just trying to find your, your way in the food world. Well, Cecilia Estridge is here. She's a graduate of Vanderbilt University. She started her food career working at a goat farm in West Palette, Vermont, called Consider Bardwell. Then she moved back to her hometown of Manhattan, where she worked for various food blogs such as Flavor Pill and Behind the Burner. As a blogger, she followed local trending in food and sustainability. Enriching her passion for small farms, Cecilia decided to take a job in sales for a small company named Basis Farm to Chef. That company grew into a much larger entity, and supply and demand became an issue. After a two-year stint at Basis, she moved to her new home, Makuni Wild Harvest, a Canadian-based purveyor of specialty mushrooms, truffles, and other amazing products used by some of the top restaurants such as Danielle, and where we are currently broadcasting from Roberta's. Thank you for coming to the show, Cecilia Estridge. Thank you for having me, Jason. Um, so to get right into it, um, talk a little bit about Makuni Wild Harvest for some of us who have no idea what that means. So Makuni Wild Harvest is, a, a, as you said, specialty foods purveyor. We sell wild foraged foods primarily, so it's a lot of mushrooms. Um, right now we're doing Saskatchewan chanterelles, which are the most beautiful chanterelles in the universe. They're like teeny tiny. Why do I, wait, I mean, because they're small? I mean, I always hear be- most beautiful about every chanterelle. Why is this? Are they farmed or are they wild? No, they're wild. Mm-hmm. Um, they're from British Columbia and they, they look like cartoons. They're like exactly the same size. They're neon orange. They smell like apricots. They're just waggy. Just wacky. But a lot of the stuff we sell is just wacky. So when that when that comes, who's the first person? Like when you get a delivery like that, who's the first restaurant you call, and or first three restaurants you call? Polino is in the top fifty <laughs> in New York Street. City in Manhattan. <laughs> no, I know maybe you don't want, but you're talk, you're calling the top tier restaurants when you get a major delivery. Like we that, are, right? yeah, and I mean, all wild foods have a very finite season and. They tend to, and this is true of truffles, which I know that you you'll want to know about next. But you know, they they come onto the market really, really high at the beginning of the season. So often, only the top one percent of restaurants can afford them. Then, as the season gets going, the price drops, and they sort of trickle down to all the other restaurants. And then, the end of the season, the availability tightens up again, and the price goes way up again. So that's interesting. It's sort of on a sort of a different curve than most other sort of products. Yeah, no, it's true. Now, you're not really doing truffles, are you? I mean, I thought those only grew in, like, Spain and Italy and France. And China. And actually, truffles grow all over the world. Like, right now we're selling Australian Paragord truffles, which um, most people associate with south of France, but um, they grow really well in Australia. But can they be force-grown, or it's just wherever they grow naturally? um, They... People are trying to farm them now, I think, at like varying degrees of success, but they are a wild food, so mm-hmm. they have also very specific seasons, but in Australia, the seasons are flip-flops, so it's winter right now, so they can grow what is, you know, a, a winter truffle. Well, here comes our delivery. We're getting our delivery now of ice and sugar for our third segment. I just wanted to bring that up, um, but... <laughs> 
Cecilia, um, I I feel for you, even though I'm on the other side of it, but I do feel for you guys, even though, and I think most chefs feel for the sales end of things, um, which is, uh, when you're day to day, when things get crazy, how do you stay positive in in sales, especially when you're dealing with a lot of stressed out high-end restaurants and stuff? And I, things that are so fleeting, you know, yeah. things that'll go bad yeah. so fast. Well, I mean, it definitely is a stressful element of the job, the way that I stay positive is we're selling incredible things that are, you know, really difficult to source elsewhere. And we work with incredible farmers and foragers. And like, we work with this guy who calls himself running squirrel, who's a 75 year old Cherokee Indian who's been harvest or foraging in Oregon for, you know, his entire life. He knows every edible plant in the woods and like, if you get named Running Squirrel yeah. as a Native American, you're yeah. like, I better become a forester. <laughs> no yeah. choice. But um, yeah, I think that's how I stay positive. But um, it, it can be stressful because, as you said, the product is fleeting. People want to have Saskatchewan chanterelles on their menu for three months. The season is three weeks. And, and how? what's the average sale price? Like, you know, I sell... You know, meats, and so you know, a good an average invoice might be three, four hundred dollars for fifty, sixty pounds. I mean, this is just a few ounces could be that much, yeah. right? Which is um, one of the beautiful things about doing deliveries of this kind of stuff, because you know you've got three boxes, which could be four hundred dollars, and each weighs six pounds or something. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely at basis, it was the opposite. We sold our, our biggest items were milk and eggs, and so we had these truck drivers that hated us. You know, you'd have. Mm-hmm. An invoice for $154 that was like 54 <laughs> gallons of milk or something. It was the worst. But, but um, you, but when I first met you, you were at Basis and you sort of had a lot of relationships out of that company and sort of branched out and did your sort of own thing and then kind of brought a lot of these relationships to Makuni. Um, well, I mean, but whether you're doing business with these things or not, it's just good you sort of know what's going on entirely in the, the world of like smaller smaller farms and stuff something patrick deals a lot with in terms of proteins and stuff but you see it more on the produce side um anything like <clears throat> do you constantly like if you're dealing with a, a small farm do you are you calling them all the time or is this just all a relationship you have with them yeah. um we when my partner rachel greenspan who was actually on the show a while back with me we um when we started at mccuni she's also there now we um started a small local program that focuses unlike basis more on sort of specialty produce and items that are a little more difficult to source and we are working with farmers that we have not so much relationships with from basis but just from you know being around and like working at farmers markets and stuff and we're on the phone with them constantly do you demand exclusive um Rights to all of their to their farms. We haven't up until this point demanded an exclusive from anyone, just because I don't think we're the programs at the level yet where it would be mm-hmm. fair to ask that of anybody. And do you um, work off handshake agreements or written contracts? Handshake agreements. So far. yeah, it's the same thing. I've always learned farmers do not believe in contracts, yeah. or they they hold no weight. They'll well, sign it or too, not yeah. sign it, but they don't care because. They'll never get sued or allow yeah. you to sue. You'll never come onto their property to collect. So they'd shoot you, you know. So, <laughs> so true. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, we, we try to honor those handshake agreements. We pay people on 30-day terms. We, um, we 
try to sell as much of their product as possible and make it as convenient for them as possible. Because a lot of the time with small farms, it really is a convenience factor, you know, like they don't have the logistical capabilities to run a truck down to the city. So we try to sort of like team them up so that only one guy has to run a truck down to the city or and i'm sure you rely a lot on fedex right because it's such a light product and in small amounts right i mean mccuni ships i mean we sell nationally and we're you know you have to have number one customer of fedex right now (laughs) as a small business we um we ship all over the place Um, and do chefs call you or do you have to call them Um, At this point, I feel fortunate that a lot of the time chefs call us. We have a really good reputation for... um, You guys send out an email and all that stuff. Yeah, and we we spam, as Jason can attest to. (laughs) But do you... um, Not spam. Going back a little bit in your career, uh, talk a little bit what it was like to work in the blog world, like Flavor Pill. Flavor Pill. So, uh, yeah, Flavor Pill, I wasn't really writing about food so much. Um, I was writing for the blog part of flavor pill which is called flavor wire which is if you don't read it it's awesome it's got a lot of you know insightful and entertaining arts and culture coverage you'll find out what gwyneth paltrow ate for breakfast oh she's oh gwyneth forget it right now she's in a, she's in a yoga she's in a yoga Polito. right now she's in a yoga class cooking with mario batali and filming a movie but it's a country movie and she's singing in it right at the second you hooked me up with that table because i was staring at her i, I would have had to look like hurt my neck not well, to be staring well, that at was her. the first time i met you and Anne at the same time who are the first couple of the first of the slow food movement and patrick's mom who's an amazing woman um and i we had we she sat was down like and i don't like this and then I was like, yeah, the, the, like the, anytime you do a restaurant opening, everyone's like, you know, they'll always tell you something different. I'm like, oh, it's good. It's great. It's great. And Patrick's mom was like, I don't know how I feel about this. This I'm is like, a mistake. <laughs> is this wrong? I think she said you were a moron and that that was a huge mistake. Uh, if she, if that was the best I got out of her, then I take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. But so flavor pill. And then, uh, you know, I know behind the burn a little bit because yeah. they do like sort of video quick, like. Uh, that you know, there's a young woman that works on there, and she does like Divya. Yeah, Divya. Yeah. Yeah. She she is a very energetic woman. She's all over. Yeah, the she place did like she, we were doing taste to Tribeca when I worked at at Tribeca Grill, and uh, she did three three changes, like three dress changes. It's like for, the Oscars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like she was walking around, and then they're like, uh, "Can I do? Can I do a thing with the chef?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, come back." And then she had changed again and changed again, which was like kind of wacky. But um, when you left Vanderbilt and you worked at the uh, the Go, what were you doing? What are you doing at Go for? Is this sort of like some romantic kind of thing, or are you actually in the dirt and stuff? Well, I I actually when I graduated from college worked for a really high pressure event planning company for a year. Okay, and it, it was an incredible company. They did um, events for arts organizations mostly, but I burned out hardcore yeah. after a year of it and. I knew the people who owned Consider Bardwell and then passing, they'd been like, oh yeah, you're interested in food, you should come out, you should you know, work on the farm, we'll put you up. This is a great dairy farm, great goat dairy farm. And she's also a publisher, so she's super well connected. So it's a very large, well-funded, successful business. Mm-hmm. And they have um, a really cool cheesemaker who is really well-respected all over the United States. He consults on projects. Is Anne produ- is selling any of this stuff? Yeah, she sells it. She's the one that, uh, Anne is the one that uh, came up with this idea for No Goat Left Behind, this project that we're launching in the month of Goat-tober. And um, basically, it's uh, this real thing that that she was the first person we met, Consider Bardwell. 
um, the lady from there, and she was like, I have all these bucklings that I don't know what to do with because I'm a dairy farm and I have no use for male goats other than as breeders. So we agreed to um, buy basically all of her goats and all the goats of some other neighboring dairy farms. So right now we have to move like 700 goats in Goattober. So thank God Polinos is in for 12 head a week. <laughs> no comment. Um, <clears throat> interesting. So wait, when you're up there, you mil- what are you doing when you're up so there? You I- wake up, all right, so you, when you're in sort of like the groove of it, you wake up 6 a.m. and there's some... There, rooster going off or something and what happened yeah actually there was a rooster and it was a nasty rooster and See? I hear recently they killed it and turned it into Coco Van so oh really it was time actually the first time Coco Van in the US was properly made with an old rooster it's supposed to be <laughs> is that really what it's supposed it's, to be exactly it's like, traditionally yeah. it should be made with the, with the old rooster on the land yeah Coco um, but yeah. I I didn't know what I was getting into at all, and I did have sort of like a Marie Antoinette-ish, like romantic idea of what it meant to work on a farm, and I got there, and it was the most grueling work I've ever done in my life. We would wake up at um, like 4.45, 5 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't do any of the animal care at all. I just did cheese making, and as like the new intern, I would like haul these milk cans off the back of a pickup truck when they dropped them off in the morning, because it was, um they do their own goat milk but they also work with a dairy a cow dairy farm down the street mm-hmm. called I think Jersey Girls um, and so they would deliver these milk cans maybe like carrying them. them upstairs like Uma Thurman and Kill Bill 2 like <laughs> yeah just yeah, beast like them up <laughs> no you'd have to like roll them because they were too heavy to pick up and you dump them all into the pasteurization vat and then I when I started was not advanced enough to do any of the actual cheese making so I would spend like two hours in the morning just scrubbing out all the milk cans and like cleaning all the cheese molds and then I would go into the aging caves and I would um I would you know wash all the rinds and that also is like intense you physical that, we hear that word a lot it thrown around whether you're buying cheese instead of an artisanal cheese store um, washed rinds like what is that are you washing it with a sponge are you washing it with your hands or washed rinds what are you washing it with ash I mean like you hear that what does that mean well, actually so you wash <laughs> the rinds of, if it's a washed rind cheese with certain solutions like people do it with beer people we're actually launching a cheese at Makuni in collaboration with um, Andante Creamery which is in the Napa Valley and She's doing, we, we make this awesome, awesome bourbon barrel aged maple syrup. And so she's washing the rind with that. But yeah, it, um, fosters, I think, growth of different, different bacteria and stuff that that gives it a different, Different protect the cheese. I have, by the way, thought of, and I'm sorry to be blowing my own horn right here. It's okay. But, um, I had forever been looking for a name of that little piece of the strip of the cheese that's between the rind and the actual cheese, mm. and it has this little melty zone. It's called, you know? a, fl- it's called a flugelbinder. <clears throat> ah, yes. Is it really? <laughs> no, that's actually the piece of plastic on shoelaces. Oh. <laughs> well, that was good. It sounded like it would work. Way to upstage my story. I don't know if my... But anyway, I, yeah, I have, I, if I was rich, I would just order that section of the cheese <laughs> and make them throw out all the rest. But I finally thought of the name, and I'd been asking. It's the Plage... Du fromage. The village du fromage. The beach of the cheese. It's great. It's because it's neither one, neither land nor water, neither rind nor cheese. It's a very thin strip. Plage de fromage. Did Anne teach teach you that at Pillow Talk or something? No, but uh, I'm very proud of that. Plage de fromage. I think it should start being used. 
it's officially back. trademarked with today's date, thanks to Carlos. <laughs> Where's Carlos? No, just kidding. Um, Carlos is back there. He's on. I think I don't know if he's on. I think he's on J date, or I can't make that. Or, or, um, <laughs> or I can't figure it out. Are you on J date, Carlos? I see, I see a computer screen. That's up illegal. There. I can't make it up. Yeah. Sorry, this is my. Actually, have the plage de fromage, right? Oh, uh, right, because right, right. Yeah, because with the washed rind, that's the whole thing with it. It's it's right. You know, aging really, really like uh, uniformly. Yeah. So that's one of the things about washing that's really nice is that you can have this beautifully kind of like uniform. Whole. Yeah. Yeah. Maya, where are you where are you procuring your stuff from in uh, these days anyway? Oh, jeez, I don't want to talk no. about that. Okay. <laughs> cheese in a can. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's you know it purveyors are it's it, no it's, it's, it's a love hate It's difficult. Yeah. Especially when you're a smaller sort of yeah. company and stuff yeah. like that. So. But Cecilia, when um now you sort of your schedule are you working out of the office or you because you have I, I mean I know you've been around long enough that you sort of have relationships but are you still going to new restaurants and hitting the pavement yeah I mean stuff? always right now we're um we're focusing on restaurants outside of New York um but on the east coast I mean as I said before Makuni sells all over the country but um we because we're west coast based um haven't gotten much traction sort of in other cities like any culinary east coast things that we're not talking about right now i know um any big atlanta. cities that yeah. we should be uh i know atlanta i, I hear atlanta portland atlanta. recently oh portland and Ma- I know oh, that portland maine oh, like, oh don't let me get don't let me start on that awesome I love awesome portland, food scene um but, but amazing amazing food scene and i think that they have oh, sorry patrick what are you, what are you no, no no well you know can oh. you name one great restaurant in vermont in Vermont, no, but there's a great diner in uh, on Route Seven in. Oh, but wait a second, it's interesting. A state like Vermont, made in Vermont, Vermont's number one. You know, you put Vermont on a map on a product that people sell. The Keen Diner, the Keen Diner, it's restaurant. Someone was telling me the other day about a really good restaurant in Vermont. Now I can't remember what it was called. But anyway, there's not one. I mean, in San Francisco, you say Chez Panisse. Yeah. You know, in, in L.A., you can say, you know, Moza, or there's always a name of a restaurant that people would consider in Vermont. It's just so unusual that there's not one. One thing that pops Nationally yeah. or even regionally known restaurant. But I, I know of the Keen Diner, which is an, I'm pretty sure is... Is this the diner it? that's like everything is from Vermont? And Probably. It's just a great spot. I think off Route 7 or whatever. It's mm-hmm. kind of like New York kind of thing. But uh, you're talking about Portland, Maine, which is an amazing culinary place that doesn't get any respect a little bit no, but there's but so there's much a new york uh, times article but there's an ama- amazing procurement that comes out of for example danielle gets a lot of his seafood from um not the name of the company uh, brown brown trading yeah. thank you for saving me there brown trading company like basically all of danielle's higher-end restaurants i think um procures out of there but it's it's interesting all these great cities that we we don't you know we we, we hear about and stuff but are doing amazing things in food but anyway, I'd like to thank uh, Cecilia for. She's going to stay on, but we're, we're going to go to yes. the best part of the show right now, Wait, but, which yeah. involves absinthe. There is there is a <laughs> bottle of absinthe here. There's some contraption which either we smoking opium out of or something. I don't know. But take I think a two absinthe. second break, and that's not an exaggeration. And we will come back and drink absinthe. Great, Nastasha.
we are back on the main course, uh, hosted by Jason Colucci. Oh. And I'm Patrick Martins. Our next guest is Natasha David, a traveling bard, if you will. But rather than serving up elaborate poems from place to place, she is serving up elaborate cocktails. Emerging out of the nationwide mixology craze in New York City, she has pressed on and has worked at some premier spots such as Van Dag, Pulinos, <laughs> Fatty Johnson's, Maialino, Woodson and Ford, and Dram, etc., etc. She is currently working at Maison Premier, which I've been to, I think is a great place, a throwback to a New Orleans inspired absinthe house. When times were simpler. <laughs> Where did you get that? When times I, were I'm simpler. T- but the cocktails weren't. But the cocktails weren't. Talk about how you have seen... Okay, wait. This is already a question. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no, no. And also, welcome. And also a graduate of New York University, which Thank I did not put that. in there. Um, but no, I put... Uh, can I just say I wrote that intro. I was streamlining like a Trolley Rose interview, etc., etc., etc. That he was right. That was very romantic. Were you looking at uh, pictures of uh, Natasha on uh, Facebook or something? And I, like, yes. If you, I hope you don't have that thing where you can check and see how many times I've been on your Facebook. Yeah, page. exactly. I always wonder that. Now, Jason, and I have a very romantic relationship. Yeah, I always, I always come to the place she works at for three months, and then she goes somewhere else. <laughs> well, yes, you have worked at many great places. So, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, jumping from place to place. What was your intention? Uh, would you just want to learn something? Or yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm always, I'm always trying to learn more, and I feel like the more and more I'm doing what I'm doing, the more and more I realize how little I know. Because <laughs> every place I go to, I, you know, every day I learn about a new product, I learn about a new way of distilling, I learn about, you know, it's, it's, it's endless, so, yeah, I'm so, always um, trying to find let me, um, let's just do a real quick, um, what's it called, rapid fire, I'm going to name the, the place, wait, so wait, so right now, Patrick is turning off the knob for this absinthe, we're dripping absinthe, yeah, we're dripping absinthe, um, over, that might be broken, that, so you have to do cold water over the sugar, yeah, over the sugar cube, okay, and then, and then how much, like, for a pour, like for example, if you were doing a serving, yeah. it'd be a t- like a one ounce absinthe pour. Yeah, like an ounce and a quarter, and then you do four parts um, of water, four to five parts of water. And then that. the cold water melts the sugar, and it sort of balances it out. And I had one yeah. of these on Friday, and, and they're amazing. But um, if if you're going to have one or two, please um, you know proceed with caution afterwards. <laughs> What's the difference between this absinthe and the famous absinthe that people hear about and read about in books from from Well, France? you know, this whole absinthe is actually a beautiful, beautiful thing, and there's such a ceremony behind it, and there's such a ceremony behind serving it, which I love. Um, and it just got a really bad rap, and, and you know, Wormwood is is what gave it this bad reputation and, and wormwood has been used for medicinal purposes for like thousands of years. It's Why removed. does wormwood get a bad reputation? Well, there's a chemical compound in wormwood called Thorjun, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, which uh, what's, you know, they sort of blamed uh, a bunch of hallucinations onto it. Well, then and well, crazy people doing crazy things. Oh, what? What's so crazy? Writing crazy ab- poetry no, introduction. Ab- ab- uh, cubism. I mean, what's so crazy about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but like, you know, like I said to any, like I say this to customers all the time, like if you drink enough of anything, like you're going to see green fairies. So mm-hmm. especially if you're drinking an, an overproof spirit. So so what draws you to absinthe as a drink? Like uh, this beautiful, what is this tool called? It's that is an just... absinthe fountain okay. or an absinthe drip. 
It's like a spigot. It has yeah. two spigots. It's now, like a this, little faucet. Is this something that we can sort of pour? Is this ready to go? Yeah. You, yeah. Okay, somebody cool. drink that. Please, oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm, we're, I'm, we're drinking a beautiful absinthe from California Let called St. George. Everybody. St. George. Okay. And uh, is Saint, you had mentioned, uh, I was there on Just Friday yeah. to try it out. And you had yeah, mentioned St. George is one of your favorite. Yeah. St. George is one of my, famous ab- my favorite absinths. It's like, it's one of those like really thick, murky, dirty, dirty absinths. And I love that. And there's like. You guys have like I think fourteen or fifteen. No, we're up to like I want to say we're up to like thirty absinthe, maybe. We have the largest selection of absinthe in the country right now, which is super exciting. And is uh, like is that a most popular thing when people going in because they're trying to get? Yeah, I think people are. You know, there's so much mystery surrounding surrounding absinthe. Yeah, that's absinthe. Everyone that um, that people get really excited and you know. Jason, you have little pink elephants coming out of your ear. I hope so. It wouldn't be a Sunday if it wasn't. (laughs) Well, this is very interesting. Let's do rapid fire real quick. I'm going to name the bar, and you say what you most learned there, or the most inspiring thing. (laughs) Okay. Polinos. (laughs) I I ate a lot of great pizza, and I and I met Jason. Van Dag. Okay, that had nothing to do with the cocktail (laughs) culture, but whatever. Van Dag. Um, Geneva Gin and Aquavit. Never, never worked with those spirits before. That's what they focus on. It was fantastic. Fatty Johnson's. Well, Fatty Johnson was just like a pop-up restaurant that I guess bartended at, and I got to just like make my own cocktails, which was super fun. Maialino. Um, Italian spirits. Oh, very yeah. nice. So like Amaro's. Yeah, and things like Amaro's, that. Grappa's. Woodson and Ford. Uh, that was my first cocktail bar, so that was like the mecca of it all. So um, I learned like all my foundation there and uh how long does it take to make a, a good cocktail i mean um it takes a few minutes i think people don't no, we, realize yeah, absolutely. we brought this up when i was there on friday which was a lot of people i feel like in small uh, and other restaurants just come up with a name first and then work the name work the <laughs> cocktail under the name they'll come up with a really witty name and i had asked you how long it took to workshop a lot of those cocktails there and it was like no these are like i mean you know you, it's it's crazy to think uh how much money a place has to put into curating a cocktail menu because the amount of times you have to try a drink over and over again to make it you know perfect is outrageous so i see a lot of places being very smart now and just doing classics mm-hmm. because yeah, which, yeah. they're already established they're great and you don't have to like spend all that money tell us about dram and then i have a question about uh I like Dram very much. Yeah, Dram is another place I just guest bartend at. Um, my my husband actually bartends there. I'm, I'm married to a bartender. Second year anniversary, by the way. Yeah, it's our second year anniversary this year. Um, muzzle top. Uh, thank, thank you very much. Um, Dram is is a really amazing bar. It's a t- it's a totally bartender driven bar, um, where you know whereas you go to a lot of places and you're like told to make your Negroni a certain way, they you just they kind of trust you there and they, they know that the people they've hired, um, whatever their spec is, like that Negroni is going to be good. So does that, that create, does that create, I've seen this before, this style before, <laughs> but that does that create friction between each bartender when they come in and their stations completely set up? The different? station is the yeah. same. Okay. The station, station is the same. Always, but the, yeah. But the, the station will be the same. Okay. So how would same. you divide the cocktails? Like, let's say someone was, um, 
going to live uh, someone is on sabbatical like i think in australia they let people out for six months after 10 years of working and some people oh are going to come awesome. to new york so you get six months off and they're like we want to learn all about the cocktail culture that kind of exists in new york how would you basically break down that paradigm like what are the pillars like is there the fresh farmer's market cocktail or the snooty hoity-toity cocktail like what are the general families yeah absolutely i mean you know here's the thing i feel like um cocktail culture in new york is like getting a really bad rap and i think part of that is um you know there was kind of a time where there were all these kind of snooty bartenders with attitudes and i think that's really changing thank god and i think there's sort of a return to service finally um so I think now anybody can go and enjoy a really great cocktail. But yeah, there's definitely, yeah, there's like the classic cocktail, like, you know. The Cosmo. I, I mean, yeah, I remember working as a kid in the, in, in the restaurant industry and I remember uh, Swingers came out and there was this whole cocktail nation thing that had happened. But that was more sort of Cosmo and Martini yeah, and the, stuff. Yeah, the cause, you know, this is kind of, the what's happening right now is like this resurgence of, you know, I don't really like using these terms, but of like pre-prohibition era cocktails, um, sort of going completely away from the, the cosmos and the pre-made sour mix and things like that. To what? To, you know, really awesome quality ingredients to uh, handmade syrups and, uh, you know, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand with the whole slow food movement because customers now are savvy yeah. and they don't want to just drink crap. They don't want to, you know, I, I, the thing that I always found so shocking that when I, one day when I found this out was that, you know, a lot of places have like tequila in their rail that isn't even tequila. It's just flavored. It's yeah. like a base grain spirit and they flavor it with tequila flavoring that is so awful to me and, <laughs> and it seems like it would cost just as much and it no and it and it it's a little bit cheaper but it's you're right you're 100 right it's the it and that's the thing that gives you a and that's when you get a hangover yeah, like that's you, you know you have like though. a bad college story of i can never drink tequila again yeah, yeah. it's because you drank that crap <laughs> that's <laughs> that, interesting like, makes you sick and it comes across and you're right because it comes across as being like you go to a place and they have sort of well stuff and then some other stuff and you come across as being like a snob but you're like no no I just don't want to drink yeah I just want to drink I, just, I don't want to yeah. have a headache the next yeah, day is exactly. tequila a lesser drink in terms of um, the bartender's you know menu no but like tequila vodka beautiful. is well listen the reason the reason we don't use vodka that much the idea behind cocktails <laughs> is you're building flavors on top of flavors. A vodka has no flavor. A vodka by law is a flavorless, odorless spirit. So it's not that we necessarily don't like vodka. It's just that we don't use it because it, it doesn't, doesn't really enhance a drink in any way, shape, or form. And what is a proper... Let's say someone doesn't know the uh, what cocktail they want, but um, what is the right way of asking that to a, uh, a bartender? It's, it's just giving your preferential alcohol yeah i mean like the the, the one you know and people will do this all the time but you know people just walk in and they're like make me your favorite drink and you're like well like that's like that's really yeah like that's really that's really silly because i'm gonna i mean i always ask for i ask for a base spirit and then i ask for whether they want to shaken or stirred and i always you know i'm like shaken is going to have citrus and it's going to be light and refreshing and and stirred is going to be boozy and and like a you know manhattan or something like that well i saved my receipt from when i was here on friday (laughs) and um you need your own network your own show i feel like there's a lot of like open liquors no yeah no i'm not gonna 
I know. I, I figured that. I figured as much of whatever. Um, but I just wanted to go over a couple of other things um, because I know your one of your favorite spirits is rum. I love rum. Okay. Um, what was in the Ronza Cava? Drink I had. I see. In here. Oh, I made you two Ronza Kappa drinks. Okay, cool. um, I made because you got free stuff. Um, okay, I didn't want to say that. But, yeah. I knew that, but it's okay. It's totally that. legal. Okay, cool. Um, my I, mother is the only one listening, by the way. To this show. And my and my and my mom too. What's what's absinthe? Sorry. <laughs> I well, the first drink I made you, um, and this was kind of the first drink I realized how beautiful rum was because I uh, had those bad college stories of drinking rum mm-hmm. and feeling really sick the next day. Um, is I made you a um, rum Manhattan. Oh, really? So it was super simple. It was just um, the Ronza, the 23-year-old Ronza Kappa. It was Antica, Sweet Vermouth, and Orange Bitters. Awesome. That was really simple. And, and- yeah, you know, that's another thing. Like, everyone thinks these drinks are so complicated, and they see us, like, you know, doing all these things that they think are really complicated. It's actually, like, it's really simple. Yeah. We're just using a bunch of really simple ingredients and mixing them together in a right way. So there, there's no, there's not, like brain surgery behind this so um t- can you speak a little bit before we get because you did bring in another alcohol right i see it's a yeah know. i brought in some uh havana club. oh my god so is this, I, I is this allowed this is this like kind of bringing in cohibas in here is this allowed <laughs> this is allowed in this, this network allowed. it is so can you just speak a little bit to the uh theater of the bar the stage and the actors and you're like one of the cheap yeah, actors yeah 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 how do you interact with people five minutes before you're going to get around to them as you're getting around to them after talk about kind of etiquette culture of bars of good bars well obviously you know there is a lot you know you're you are performing and and the bar kind of is a stage and and there is a lot you know like i said about absinthe there's this whole like showmanship and this whole you know ceremony that goes along with it and i find that i mean that's probably the most sort of entertaining part of it um and people, you know, people love to watch this stuff. People love to come and sit and watch everything that you're doing. And, um, and you know, I think especially with, you know, a lot of people are sort of intimidated by the kind of drinks that, that we serve at Maison. So it's, it's about, I think, you know, relating, relating things to the customer and making them feel comfortable and not feel like they're like out of their league or something that, like that but that environment is totally perfect like from a restaurant procurement geek walking in there and seeing what they have the infrastructure they have for example like the tools she's working with you almost have to go on ebay to buy the stuff that you're working on or be or be, an, uh, we're, be, or no, be a serious no, we're, antiquer we're, we're super lucky like, or we being, have great tools, be like yeah. a serious antiquer in the south or something because everything you use i didn't see the only sort of thing I found was the receipt at the end that was sort of a like modern <laughs> kind of thing, and that's why I saved it because everything from the tools you were working with the bar were were procured. I mean, and probably aren't easy to find. So how do you? Is that cool? Kind of that makes the whole mystique of the sort of theater. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean the, I mean especially at Maison Premier, it is such an experience because you you the you, the idea was to be transported into this completely different world and you to make you feel like you're. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in the twenties, yeah, like the sort of turn of the century, New Orleans. You know, there's a lot of French influence as well. Um, but I think something that's really awesome about Maison is that, yeah, there's you know all this great decor and it's all these great products, but it's super accessible. And and I think we have all these sort of luxury products like oysters and and things like that. And when we do this thing, like we do a dollar happy hour of all of fifteen different oysters, and it becomes this accessible thing. So back to the theater aspect, is it the um 
customer, like for instance, I walk in there, you know, just for success like this with my radio <laughs> t-shirt, is it my job to make eye contact and get some connection to the bartender or are you always 100% have ordered everyone when they come? Like, can I trust that I will be served yes. right before him yes, and right after trust. that guy? Oh, you yeah. can trust. And that, Absolutely. And that, Even though you don't make eye contact with me. I mean, I think I hope I make eye contact with you. I like to acknowledge people and let them know I, I'm aware that they're there. Because a lot of I mean, bars my biggest don't. pet peeve, at that, at that I, I don't like people like, I don't like, I don't, don't wave money in no, my no, face. No, no, I no, see no. that you're there. Like, I, I, I it can is see a it. hard thing because you know you're waiting in line. You have a girl. You're wanting to buy her a drink. Absolutely. You don't want to wait 15 minutes. Especially but then for like these kind of drinks. That. Like obviously, I'm going to spend like the, by the time I get to you, it might be maybe a little longer than yeah. you're used to waiting. I yeah. understand that. So that's why I think actually it's very important to acknowledge a customer. What is the ideal um, time to wait to get a drink? Because um, I've heard some people like Jason Denton, who was on last week, is like if they wait more than five minutes. Yeah. They're they're going to be a little yeah. upset. They're yeah, no, start. five minutes is no good. Because yeah, because you guys do after it. They, it's like an art after piece. they order from you. After or, they order yeah, from me. Yeah, I don't think anything. I mean, we, we ordered three cocktails and th- you know at, at a time and. But people wait long times for drinks because as much thought and almost time is put into a drink as a chef making mm-hmm. a dish in mm-hmm. the kitchen. But at the same time, how do you account for the fact that someone might wait twenty five minutes for a drink? They, and they they, I mean, they will. I mean, money. I also hope that people understand. I mean, this goes two ways. I hope that when a customer comes to Maison or any kind of, you know, any of these cocktail bars, that they're kind of aware of where they're going and and understand Drink a beer what before. I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if you're really thirsty, yeah, just ask for a beer and a cocktail and, like, I'll give you the beer right away and then you'll get your cocktail. I mean, Can I get a really shot of your favorite liquor? <laughs> I really don't think they take that long. No, it doesn't take a long time, but it is an interesting thing because I'd always remember Jason Denton. More than five minutes, that person mm-hmm. after the whole day is just like, "I need a drink in me." You know? No, he's absolutely. Jason was one hundred percent right, but it's it's exactly about like the place you walk in and how educated the customer is. And customers are really educated, especially in Manhattan, and especially if they're in Williamsburg and going to Maison Premier. When I walked in there, I didn't expect to, it was a busy place. It was Friday night. I didn't expect oh my God, that was to, the busiest night we've ever had. Really? Last oh that God, night? It was, it was packed. Mm. I didn't expect. My hands are still. I didn't expect to get anything, and I was just kind of laid back i was like i'm here whatever and then just serendipitously a spot opened and we sat at the bar and we got we got our drinks but i think it's a lot of it's it's a lot of the the restaurateurs or the bartenders educating the public and then the public sort of like feeding back off of that and walking into a place and realizing that hey it's not going to happen right away that's the whole reason why i'm here cecilia do you agree with any do you like when you go on a date or something or you're your boyfriend are you asking cecilia out is this going to be all <laughs> long circuitous? No, Cecilia has a, no. Cecilia is Cecilia has a, is in a serious relationship, and your boyfriend's a chef. Where is he working now? I don't know if you could talk about oh, that. Or <laughs> he's he's actually um, he's working at Brooklyn Brine right now. Is um, Brooklyn spelled correctly, or it is. is it spelled one of these really weird ways, <laughs> like the old Dutch way? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh no, the Dutch. Oh, the Dutch. It's like oh. Is it Brooklyn or is it not? It's like that's it's it's in uh, it's just, my lawyer will decide if we're Brooklyn or Brooklyn. <laughs> it's trademarked. But no, so when you walk in, when you first started dating your boyfriend, you guys went to a place like that was like his choice. Like it wasn't. What are you getting a drink or something? There. What are your thoughts? Like if you're waiting for a cocktail for a long well, time. Well, I mean, I don't think any cost. I think Jason Denton was probably right. I, you worked at Eno for. A I year. did work at Eno for a year. <laughs> Service was always excellent. Yeah. No, actually the. 
But he's also not trying to blow people's mind, as he says about his cuisine, whereas the Maison Premier within the cocktail world is trying to blow your mind, so you need time for that. Yeah, I think that that's important, like, yeah, what your expectations are. If you're coming for an excellent, well-crafted cocktail and you understand the sort of... But I also think customers, like, they they can see us working. Uh And they know, like... I'm not just standing there like yeah. twiddling my thumb, like Absolutely. talking to my coworker. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm in the weeds, and I'm making you a lot. Of, I'm making a lot of drinks, and I'm and I'm you know double straining, and I'm pre shaking, and I'm doing all these things. Like they see, I'm busy, and I think customers are very understanding. And their beer tabs almost have uh, these like sort of uh, sc- they have scales under the beer tabs. I almost think like in like oh, do you know what, you know what I said? Do you guys weigh the amount of waste <laughs> at the end of the day? I don't. Dude, what are those just catches for? Yeah. They're just catches. Yeah. They almost, yeah. It looks like an old. Yeah. You know, they're, they're old. Um, triple beam balance. What are they? Right? Old uh, stove stove burners. So yeah. I have a question. Um, if I looked at, uh, we sell Heritage Food sells to eighty restaurants around the city, and I would say seventy to eighty percent of them, the bell curve, are doing similar things based off of the season. Uh, you know. Um, doing similar things with the same products or even different products. You know, like there could be frise salads uh, in the summer and all that. Um, is there commonality between different cocktail houses at certain times of the year? Or when you look at the established menu, is it completely random and what's important to the I bartender? mean, I think we all sort of have certain things in common. I think it's always funny when there's like a new product that comes out and suddenly every single cocktail bar has a, oh. has a cocktail with it. You know? But is there commonalities mostly or mostly not? I think, yeah, absolutely. Because they, they all kind of share, you know, their, what is this? Like the root of it all is the same. And what is we that all based carry off? Same season products. or based off of classic cocktails? I, you know, I think New York isn't that isn't as like seasonally driven. Mm-hmm. I think like the cocktail scene in San Francisco, things like like in, or in LA, those are very like they have all these great products yeah. available. So they it's much more food driven and and uh, you know herb driven and vegetable driven and things like that. I think here it's much more spirits driven. Do you want to beat martini? Yeah, exactly. Are there any drinks you will not make? And my other question is, what percentage of the cocktails ordered are from the menu? Um, I would say most. Most, yeah. yeah it's a big I think of that. Most people don't go off the menu. Just like same with pizzas. Whatever pizzas you name, very few people are like, I want the marg with sausage and onions. Like, they'll get one of the complicated But people ones. also like, you know, something that is exciting about having um, a bunch of really great bartenders behind a bar is that they have an encyclopedia of drinks that is really large. Yeah. So, you know, you can also, and, you know, so you can come in and order all kinds of wacky classics, but you can also, like, do a bunch of bartenders' choices. Like, we kind of get off on coming up with weird new concoctions for you so mm-hmm. and you guys have uh, an array of I've, i mean you know i buy liquor and i've some of the things that, some of the thing i've never seen yeah i've never amazing. seen i mean it almost seemed like a like really small producer somewhere yeah. and we have we have we have amazing relationships and well you were saying jason it was one of your favorite bar uh, I top said, seven bar experiences that week so i mean that was well pretty, yeah it was no i did say, i did who is, night, the, who is the uh who is the owner that i met josh boise and i said him it was the most exciting opening when did you guys what year was it? this year yeah, this year i said it was the most <laughs> you got no no. Right. <laughs> no i said it was the most exciting opening of the year even though you guys are doing like sort of limited food you're doing oysters by the way patrick the uh the gentleman that procures the oysters because patrick loves operations and stuff his job alone seems insane because he's buying 50 different things sort of yeah. from all over the yeah. all over the country but i said it was one of the most it's just fun like 
just it talked about places, um, and I had an amazing time. But I before know. we go to break, I'm going to stand up, and can you please talk me through making a proper yes. absence? So and I then, by the yes. way, when we come back from break, we're going to play a restaurant game that Jason yes. conceived, where you guys can design your own restaurant. We'll find out what's similar, what's different. So, okay, but cool. let's let me take stand, us let me to stand, break. Let me let me stand up here, and then you can tell you can talk okay. me through. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So first thing. Talk about performance studies right here, theater studies. So pour some water into the top of that absinthe uh, fountain. When you say absinthe fountain, what does it look like? It's like a little, um, it's like, mm-hmm. it has like two little, it's like a little uh, sink with two little faucets. It's like and, old and it's kind school of, faucet sinks. Yeah. With the hot yeah, and Yeah, that's good. That's good. Now let's uh, get a glass. Let's get a fresh glass. Fresh glass. Here, use this glass one. That looks fresh. Don't you know that you don't want absinthe touching plastic? Um, and then pour like an ounce of absinthe in there. Just an ounce? Yeah. Okay. It's overproof. Just an ounce. No, no, not in there. Not in there. In the glass. In the glass. <laughs> that looks good. That look, Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm, God. Easy there, oh, buddy. God. We will be seeing fairies. Um, now take your spoon. Your absinthe spoon. This also looks like an opium spoon. <laughs> So, no, 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 put it like lengthwise across the glass. And then you see where the water is dripping down? Put your sugar cube there. <laughs> For Just all our listeners, things. don't do what Jason yeah. just did. <laughs> and now For you're diluting the sugar into the absinthe. So and you see that cool, like that color that's changing there? That's called the louche. That's all the, like, the chlorophyll from all the different herbs is making that happen. So this is all totally natural. It's kind the of color the same color as the plage de fromage. <laughs> Not yet, because you just added like four ounces of absinthe. So we're going to let the water drip for a while. Yeah. Unless, you know. I will be cool. manning the last segment of the show, I can tell, okay. with that pour. I will not be drinking. I will. Okay, perfect. Well, I did learn, um, talking about all this cool French stuff, I did learn the French word for rhombus last night, and it's loissange. Loissange. Uh, for you, Carlos, that's it's uh, spelled the way it sounds. Loissange. All right. Well, we are going to take a break and uh, also maybe talk some taste things about this absinthe and find out how each of these three ladies would design their own restaurant. Perfect. Because it is survival of the fittest. When the hits the fan, I got my shank in my hand. Black man with the permanent tan. I come from the villain never ran. Damn, I'm feeling another part of reality. Hit me when I represent the FAP. Straight from the hills, hill, then play the building. I mean literally when I say I make a killing. For my cipher, see I'm finna the bust the pipe. Original heads represent the Brooklyn all night. Do or die, I'm saying this, you or not. Bring your click, it's the leaping kids, don't like family slide. Need to see I in the bush. Biting the team, rocking the rock, giving the push. <laughs> We did it like that and now we do it like this We did it like that and now we do it like this Go inside your mind and find a time that you miss And just think about the steel in your fist It's just an extension of your arm It's that ghetto type of charm that makes all the homeboys swarm Can I drop the bomb? Oh yes I can Move with the goose, move like Gigi Dan Who is the man? That kid there who is the chick with the pick in her hair? Angela or uh, Davis, and we roll like Avis. Rent a car, kid, there you are. You know where to find me whenever you need me. 
if you know the app, follow the path to the land of the aftermath, but don't frolic in the midst, crazy Brooklyn kids, cause they always throwing a body on my lawn, I'm getting a rock while I'm without a collar. Wow, I'm Wow, I'm all over, yeah, I'm all over the place. The is. is that? Not, I mean, you can put it over. Am I supposed to see? That was uh, me drinking absinthe. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! I don't know about this, but I, I feel like. Does anybody have any uh, oil paint and a uh, canvas around? I feel like. So we have 18 minutes. 18 minutes. Favorite. Okay, just start. All right. Cecilia answers first. What's the question? Cecilia, dream restaurant, dream city. Where would you do it? With Talk real close. Forgot about that one. Um. If I were to open a restaurant, I mean, I would open it in New York. I'm a native New Yorker. So Where did I feel you go like to high school? Uh, Berkeley Carroll in Park oh, really? Slope. I yeah. went to uh, Browning. No way. I hit a home run off oh, of your pitcher, right. bottom of the ninth inning to take us into the playoffs. I it was like we 11th were... grade. Pri- privilege <laughs> we had a stories. pretty serious baseball team I at know, Berkeley Carroll. I know. That's what made my hit all the more impressive. Uh, well, this was 1986, <laughs> of course. 86, he had his Mets hat on, his Daryl Strawberry jersey on. All right, so um, big restaurant. So big rest. I, like, I want to preface this by saying that it is like my worst nightmare would be to open a two hundred seat restaurant. Okay, but in Manhattan, I, in Manhattan, not in Manhattan. I think I would open it in Brooklyn. I what feel a little bit like what neighborhood? This is quick fire. Sorry, quick fire. Uh, I think I'd do it in my neighborhood in Prospect Heights. All right. Well, wait, wait. Okay, next. Now, um, big restaurant. What part of the country? What city? What food? What cuisine? You have to fill up a lot of seats. Do you know, again, I, I share that sentiment. I definitely would not want to open anything big. Um, to me, that seems just unwieldy. Uh, but uh, City. 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 Do you know, I definitely, I, I love Brooklyn. Um, oh. I've been here for 15 years, and I'm originally from California, and I really, really love this place. I okay. like the people. I like the, the way that people Carol eat. Carroll Gardens? Carroll Gardens? Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly where in Brooklyn, but All somewhere right. maybe. So that means know. we get to choose the neighborhood for you. <laughs> Coney Island. Okay. <laughs> no. Natasha, neighborhood. Bushwick. Oh, Bushwick. yeah. By the way, this segment is called Let's Talk Brooklyn. Yes. Let's talk Brooklyn. Let's so talk you would open a big restaurant in Bushwick. I would open a big restaurant in, Bush- in Bushwick, and I would serve steaks and oysters. Oh, nice. All like right. a kind of Peter Luger done, uh, you know, from regular people. A quick name. Yeah. A name. Okay. A name of it. Something that comes to your head quick. Steak and oysters bar. <laughs> <Steak> and oysters. <laughs> okay. Now we'll stay here, and then we'll go that way. Ideal date restaurant and ideal breakup restaurant in the five boroughs. Ooh, uh, best date restaurant Pine Meats for sure. Oh, because I like to eat meat on a date. Oh god, that sounded really bad. Um, uh, breakup restaurant. Uh, Frankie's. Frankie's. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, oh god. Cafe uh, Peddler. <laughs> Something with no chairs. A chi- yeah, like, like a, yeah, like a Chinese takeout restaurant. Like China one. Wo hop at six a.m. in front of Panda, the uh, six ninety nine yeah. photo of Mushu pork. Mayo up. Date oh restaurant. I'm totally unprepared. I don't go on dates. Um, Are you married? I'm not. I'm not. They don't date. Yeah, dates in big restaurants. They scare me. A date in a restaurant. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's a uh, there's a plethora of restaurants to go on dates uh, in, okay, in we'll Brooklyn. Pick for Again, you. Mile super end. romantic. 
Uh, you know what? That wouldn't be I a bad do place. Love, I do love Mile End. Yeah. I love a little schmaltz, <laughs> and on a date, it's probably necessary. Makes, it makes me too nostalgic about yeah. my booby. So Sammy's <laughs> Romanian <laughs> Steakhouse. Yeah. yeah wow. so wait, for a first date or a breakup? Because I don't want to be spending $200 oh, dollars from dumping Too much somebody. money to yeah, spend too, on the breakup. <laughs> and almost too much money for a first date as well. It almost cancels themselves out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. 20th anniversary. Right? So, of course, and, it, of course, and, if and it were a that keyboard player would definitely make you feel okay. Yeah. He would, he would. <laughs> and on a first date, if it works out, I don't think I want it t- like that T-shirt reminder three years later of like the, our first date. So, uh, date first date. I love Il Buco. What was the first date you went on with your boyfriend? Well, Il Buco lost Ignacio, but then they gained Christopher Lee. And where's um, a, where's a, where's a, your boyfriend now? Where's the first date you guys had? Kajitsu, actually. Okay. And uh, so where Buddhist are you? Japanese restaurant. And no. where are you? I think it sounds uh, gastronomically cool. awesome. Where are you thinking about dumping him? When I think gastronomy, <laughs> I think <laughs> Buddhism <laughs> and Amish. Oh, you're still going. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you favorite Keith McNally restaurant and least favorite <laughs> Keith McNally restaurant? No, they're all Into great. The fire pit. I'll say it quick. Uh, my my favorite and my really favorite is Baltazar and Minetta Tavern. Those are my two. And if you had to least, what would be the one that would just be the last? Pravda? <laughs> well, one that is he doesn't own Pravda. anymore, which is the Odeon. Oh, okay, Smart good. Answer. Smart. <laughs> nice. Does he own Lucky oh, Strike? Cool. Yes. Is the food good there? I have no comment. All right. <laughs> so, uh, very, very interesting. Uh, oh, you're asking me? Prime meat. Wait, 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 wait. Good. Patrick? No, one's Where, no, no. no. First anything. date with Ann Saxelby. Where did I have it? Uh, he probably went to Essex Market. Vinegar Hill. Vinegar Hill. Are you serious? Yeah, that is a good date. That was your first date? Yeah. Oh, nice. God, this is the this is going to last forever this thing. This is <laughs> this is why they are the first couple of the slow food movement. And she's tried to break up with me a bunch of times. That's usually in Red Hook at, uh, <laughs> <laughs> far away far away from transportation. Yeah, exactly. Good job. But if you had a, if you if you had to pick a place where uh, breaking uh, breaking up restaurants over you, over the years. Tia Pole. Interesting. Huh. Interesting. You know, you're all the way on the outside. You're not really sitting at a whole <laughs> table. People can get up easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quick, kind of semi-standing already. <laughs> Quick thing: superstitions in restaurants. I wanted to talk about. Oh, I like to yes. bring up very restauranty kind of things every week. And then my thing is, whenever glasses break, it's almost like baseball players not being able to hit home runs. Like you'll go through like one day where a busboy will drop an entire thing of glasses, and a bartender who's like spot on will break break glasses, and it'll. Your most senior waiter, and it's so weird because it happens like that. So what's and that? That's not break. superstition. No. That's just oh, big, bad things. Just things that happen. And the other superstition is sort of the the dictation of the rest of your day by the first customer that you have. <laughs> it's like yes. the first plate person that works into your restaurant, like how they act, sort of dictates the rest of your day. Uh, Natasha, mm-hmm. anything that comes to your mind? Yeah, you think superstitions. Of- well, I had actually yesterday. Uh, I dropped everything. I was dropping shakers. I was dropping spoons. I was really? dropping. Yeah. Is that just wait, wait. Bad did you luck? drop that eighty dollar pitcher? Those pitchers? No, I did not. Oh, God, the day that happens, man, I'm getting fired. <laughs> so you don't have any superstitions? I don't have superstitions. But do you agree? With I have me, like though? weird things that I do, like like obsessive Rituals. compulsive yes. things so, that I yeah, do. Yeah. What is it? Like what? Well, I'm very obsessive about how I set up my bar, yeah. or like I, I I like I'm sick in the head, so I really like to work service bar. Yeah. Um. So I like I get I like to save all my tickets. And look at them at the end of the night yeah. and see what I've accomplished. By the way, I have one saved here. Oh, and then and see what you accomplished. By the way, you need to yeah. t- tell the runner he needs to change the register. Yeah. <laughs> what's your greatest? Uh, what's a great 
day. What, uh, what, how do you define a great accomplishment? Um, I feel like on Friday night, we d- I did something like 600 cocktails. Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah we, looked at, we looked at, I had them like look at how many cocktails were made that night. Are you superstitious? Superstitious? I, I don't think so. But, you know, it's interesting that you um, save your dupes because when I was in the kitchen, you always count. You always figure out what you've done. And it's a sense of pride. You know, you have your badge of honor and that's built up with those dupes. Um, so I, I like that. I like that you do that. Um, definitely full moon fever. Oh, really? Um, yes, yeah. for wait, sure. Right. It wait, was wait. a full this moon. Quick question. Full quick moon, question. Full if you moon didn't last know, night. If you didn't know. crazy the last couple cuckoo. days. Cuckoo. When I was cuckoo. bartending, if you didn't know it was a full moon, and like so there would be times oh, I'd be bartending I'd be bartending and I would tell talk to the server, I'd be like, Can you go outside and tell me yeah, Exactly yeah, yeah, what's yeah, the yeah. moon what? doing? So I can totally tell. tell it's a yeah. full moon because like it's cr- <laughs> like, how do you know that? Like, you know, I think that could be an <laughs> archetype, like a Jungian <laughs> archetype where it's in everyone's head that when it's a full moon it's kind of like carte blanche tacked a little People crazy. Just they're just pulled they're to it and they just they do their little howl and however they're they're gonna do it. And you are, you know, you are there and you're you're Sam Jr. who's staying with me took his shirt out. off at dinner and I thought that was inappropriate. <laughs> but then I, I asked the waiter and it was Wait. a full moon. Two things. One is who is this gentleman with you? Can you introduce him a yeah, little bit? Yeah, Sam Jr. Okay. is Sam Ed S. Wallace Edwards and Sons, who are the great ham cures of Virginia for I the past eighty years. Oh yes. His oh, great awesome. grandfather sold ham sandwiches on the ferry between Surrey and Williamsburg. Did, you're doing that Suriano oh. ham. Yes. Yeah. Which we put uh, Polino's hand on the menu. Oh, very, very nice. And why don't you? Uh, (laughs) So I have to say, I'm only superstitious about... I always think that the people who built our bed didn't build it right. So I'm always afraid the bed is going to collapse on my two Scotty dogs. So I always put books under there. Are you serious? And then I also always make sure that the fire... I'll always lock the door, leave, and then come back and make sure all the coffee's off. And then that the toilet is closed because God forbid they're out of water and they jump in the toilet and then they can't get out. And they you, like Jack that's Nicholson. It. you like that's Jack Nicholson and as good as it gets. You like turn <laughs> but that's everything. Times. It's just those three. I conduct a normal life. I drive places. I interact with people. You know? I don't carry germicide. Mayo, you didn't talk a little bit about this, but you made something, baked something for us today. Oh, you know, you I thought morning time. It's, you know, who doesn't like a little upside down cake? So it's got, some uh, you know, beautiful green figs, which are super ripe and oozy. And then the, um, the cheese cherries it's cherry season so i um i put some cherries in bourbon and they're just like perfect right now so awesome yeah a little brown sugar a little you know so, so yeah superstitions butter. and sales oh jinxing is other than a big me one. other than me calling you at the, seven in the morning the, like, i'm always mm. a little superstitious when i get that phone call at seven a.m and, and then i can, t- I can right tell you're that. either in or out of the shower when you hit like the it goes two rings and it goes right to voicemail um no superstition is the second that anybody at work ever is like, man, deliveries are going great this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the so restaurant. Over. That's more. <laughs> I mean, that's more restaurant gods than superstitions. The restaurant gods like fear well on you. Do you um, get mad at them now when they say that? Yeah, no, it's like not allowed in the office. And do they come back like, and say that there's no real connection? Doesn't has anyone ever said there's no real connection <laughs> between saying that? No, because it's it's a it, on, especially on a I Friday. I would like to say it's like a proven fact especially on a Friday when you're like Friday's smooth it's 11 and like everything's going good and you're waiting for that one call of something and yeah no and you're like ready to leave at 5 and everyone's like man this is a great day and then you get that guy who's like I never got my order today at all yeah and then you and then your Friday turns into 10 when you have to get a cab and drive drive everything never happens to us though awesome well Patrick this has been uh it's been a good show. It's been a great show. Um, yeah, good job, Jason. I really, I mean, I had nothing to do with this. I only uh, correct 
corrected the spelling on uh, uh, consider, and I could have corrected it on Mialino, which is M A I A. West Pollitt, Vermont was another one. A Pollard, was Pollard, but um, no, I would, I definitely have to uh, thank the panel because these are three um, yeah, amazing really women good. that work. We should make this an annual tradition. Every August, we get these same three cats in here, and we'll have different alcohols, different restaurants being talked about. Well, they're all. Mo- I'll they're contribute. All, next these are all time movies and shakers. If, if they want to, if they want to do the show, if we're too good. If we're not doing like Jimmy Fallon or something, showing them how to make a cocktail or something. Right. Have you been on Jimmy Fallon? <laughs> no. Uh, it's but, coming. It's coming. But she was. You were voted. Uh, oh yes. One of the hottest bar. I, I hate to use that word. What, yes, what, what did the post uh, say? The what New York Post. While I was working at Hottest Post, actually, I, I was one of the hottest bartenders. And it was a post, so they did well, say the hottest. Can you stand up and turn around? I mean, can no. we see if we agree? I hate to be so crass, but um, other than that, the credentials of this group are, yeah. are amazing. And This is one of the I, top ten shows you've ever put together. Being hot is a credential, by the way. <laughs> I, uh, in I, the theater of life. I have friendships. I care about, a lot about these people that are here in, in, in the, the room, and um, they're all just really people I respect a lot, and I visit a lot, and I share ideas with and uh, that's it Patrick I don't know you know if that was one other. of the top four most sincere things I've heard today from me, <laughs> from me. Other, other than Ann other than Ann saying uh, can you let the dogs out like, yeah I did it don't worry yeah it's out um, alright well thanks so much and next week we're gonna have Christopher Bear from um, Brooklyn Larder and some Katie, other people Katie Howard Katie Holmes, great. Katie. Katie. (laughs) Katie Howard. Katie Howard from Don Sitter Bardwell. Well, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Kane 5. And uh, thank you, ladies, for coming out on an early Sunday morning. Cheers. Thanks. spring at the end of kidding season, goat dairies across the country are faced with the question of what to do with their male bucklings. Because on a dairy farm, there's no role for a male. Often the most economical thing for these farmers to do is to cull the animals at birth or ship them off to the commodity market. Heritage Foods USA is embarking on a new project, No Goat Left Behind, looking to step in and fill this niche by creating a marketplace for these male bucklings. Visit us at www.heritagefoodsusa.com to learn more and to reserve your goat this coming October. New York Night Train, Summer Soul Shindig, Rockaway Beach Party, featuring the 45 RPM soul magic of DJ Jonathan Tobin. Saturday, August 20th, 6 to 9, at Rippers, Boardwalk 86, Free Party.